Hey, good afternoon. You welcome to Thursday's Richie Allen radio show, broadcasting live from the heart of Salford. I'm Richie Allen. I've got some good guests for you coming up a little bit later on. Before that, though, uh, we're going to round up the day's big news stories. You're Richie Allen with you. Good to be with you. Get in touch with me now via the website or the brand new spanking brand new app then. Uncensored. Unfiltered. You're listening to Richie Allen on the world's most popular independent news radio show. It's the Richie Allen Show. Broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. Yeah, now my great friend Paul Ripley and his brother Nick Ripley have got a brand new podcast dealing with all things artificial intelligence. What is it? Where did it come from? The origins of it. Where is it going? What are the implications for humanity? Paul is a software genius, an engineer genius. And uh, his brother Nick, well, he's a digital developer who's been using computers since the early 1980s and set up software companies, would you believe, developing database applications for international air freight companies. He's a bit of a genius, a bit of a boffin. So we'll talk about that at the top of the air. But as I said before that, you and I will have a quick... Well, not so quick, but we'll have a rundown of the biggest news stories of the day. Artificial intelligence. Do, as I said, reach out, send a message via the brand new app, please. Or send a message via the website richieallen.co.uk. May the 4th, it is Thursday, 2023. Star Wars fanboys and fangirls even. Big day for them. They binge watch the films all day apparently and some cinemas will be showing Star Wars, showing even Star Wars films today. Geeks. How blessed are the geeks. They shall have comic cons for their possession. Is a famous line. Not, but uh, yeah, Star Wars. They loved the original three films. Can't say a lot about the most recent trilogy. Anyway, that doesn't matter. If you listened in yesterday, you will know that I'm on Nutter Watch all week. I really am. I'm on Nutter Watch. And it's great fun, to be honest. Royal big days. Royal family big day out. Big days out. Like weddings, for example. Like the births when the babies are born in the royal families. Or even, of course, of late funerals. They're big. They're a big deal. The media gives blanket coverage and these days bring out the nutters. They do, the royal family devotees. They're a different breed. I think the only time they ever leave the house is for the royal pomp. That's the impression you get when you see some of these people and when they are interviewed on British television. You get the impression they only come out of their houses once or twice every few years when these things go on. We had a good giggle at superfan John yesterday on the mall. Could that be outdone? Are there even greater nutters at large in London this weekend? Yes, there are. Uh, your woman from GB News, Beverly Turner, met Bartley. That's a great name, Bartley. And I tell you what, Bartley had some story for her, so he did. Bartley, how are you? I'm pretty good for a change. Right. I'm not too well. What? He's good for a change. But I'm still here. Because I was recently in hospital and self-discharged yesterday purely so I could be here. He self-discharged from hospital yesterday purely so he could be there. I wish you could see this guy. He's really not well. 
Sorry to hear. I hope you're not taking any unnecessary risks. Is this your tent? He just told you he's taking an unnecessary risk. He's discharged himself from hospital against the advice of his doctors and wheeled himself down to the mall. Sorry to hear. I hope you're not taking any unnecessary risks. Is this your tent? This your tent, Bartley? No, I'm also sleeping in a chair because government guidance says that we couldn't use tents. Oh my God. He obeyed the government guidance, came down tentless, did Bartley, in his wheelchair after discharging himself from hospital only to discover that everybody else has a tent. And he's sitting in his wheelchair, exposed to the elements while he should still be in hospital, Bartley. So you're sleeping in this chair, having just checked out of hospital. You must love the royal family. Or, or he's mental. More than probably anybody here this, this week. Um, what kind of king is Charles going to make? <laughs> I would hope he would make a good king. I would make sure, in my view, that I would hope he'd do as good as his mother. Yeah, and do you think he can? And what about Queen Camilla? Are you on board with that? You're on board with the Queen Camilla? I like Lady Camilla. He's demoted her straight off the... Uh, <laughs> straight off the bat, you're demoted to Lady Camilla. I don't believe it's right to call her Queen Camilla because she should be known as the King's Consort. Somebody wheeled that gentleman back to the hospital he discharged himself from. That's real, by the way. If, if, if I didn't tell you, you would think it's got to be a parody. No, it's absolutely real. That is real. Let me just do this before I go any further. Yeah. Crazy stuff. Crazy times. It got even madder because then they decided to vox pop the nutters and ask them for their opinions on Meghan and Harry. Now, Meghan couldn't fly in. and uh, One of her rugrats has a birthday this weekend. So Harry Hewitt is on his own. They've stuck him at the back, apparently, in the, in the church and told him he can't wear his military uniform and he won't be allowed any polo mints during the ceremony. So they asked the nutters, Harry and Meghan, what are your thoughts? And they just got pure gold. I don't think they like Meghan. No, we don't. No. You don't like Meghan? No. Why is that? It's not because we're racist, because we're not racist. <laughs> I hate people saying that to us. Oh, you don't like her because... You're racist. No, we're not bloody racist. We don't like her attitude. Nice. Harry were to be in the olden days, he's a they would tell me he's a traitor. What, what do you mean you by that? You, can, you, can, you can't betray your own people. You can't betray your family. Me, my my my, my grandfather's kingdom. No. I hear the pamper, he comes in and then now. Got a job to do. So you're not a fan? No, 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 no. I hope he doesn't come. Really they don't come here again. Two of them. Megan should be here. Too. I am sad that Megan not gonna be here. She should have. Because she was there for the Queen, his grandmother funeral. And um, his, his dad walked her down the aisle when she got married. And Charles walked her down the aisle when she got married. But this is the Blue Ribbon winner, this one. Have a listen to this guy. Speaking to GB News. Harry isn't the same as what he used to be. You know, he's, uh, he's completely changed. And this is one thing what people in Britain don't like, how he's changed. Uh, he would have never, ever thought about 
right in a pool. He, he would have never, ever, what? Thought of what? Never, ever thought about writing a porn book. A porn book? A what? A what? A porn book. A porn book? Why do you say that? My uh, little penis uh, got frostbitten. Uh, my little penis got frostbitten. And when we went to the Antarctic, what, what, what do you call that? I mean, if that isn't a porn book, what, I, what is? <laughs> If that isn't porn, what is? My little penis got frostbitten when I was in the Antarctic. The nutters are out in force. If you're in London, keep an eye out for them. It's uh, nine minutes past the hour. And speaking of lunacy, young people, I think, at least if you go by what you come across on 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 the internet, young people seemingly are in the grip of narcissism. You know, seeking validation of who they are and confirmation of their beliefs and praise for their 500 selfies a week. Now, social media takes some blame, but this is really happening, right? You've got youngsters running around. We've come across this several times, myself and the missus, in our travels. Several times we've come across this. Youngster, youngsters gathered around a phone making videos for TikTok. We've seen this happen, doing dances. Have you seen this? Have you come across this phenomenon? It's quite amazing really you'll see it a lot in cities you know not not necessarily around schools although we are surrounded where where we live by by five or six different schools but you'll often come across or encounter youngsters standing around they often put phones on walls or they'll put them somewhere where the phone can stand on its own and they'll start doing dance routines it's absolutely insane now if you throw queer theory into that it turns narcissistic kids into mental midgets and their self-awareness evaporates completely. They'll go on TikTok or Instagram and say anything, anything at all. Now, here's a young woman. I don't know her name. Let's call her Sarah. Um, She is a young woman, by the way, 16 or 17 years old, thinks she's a boy or thinks she's a man. And she asked her family, would they kindly refer to her as Mike? It didn't go the way she imagined it would, so she took to TikTok to explain all. Have a listen. Hi. So recently I texted my parents because I'm going to go home for Christmas and I said, hey, do you mind calling me Mike when I come back for Christmas? And then when I got home today, I got this letter from my grandma and it is addressed to Miss Old Name. Not actually, but you know. I don't want to say my real name on the internet. Dearest dead name. On this, our blessed mother's feast day, I am writing to tell you that I will not address you as Mike. My decision is probably not a surprise to you. Others may comply with your request. My anguish in your chosen name and what that means has to do with your eternal soul. Know that I love you more than words could ever possibly convey to you. No matter how you decide to identify yourself does not change my deep love for you, honey. Because of my concerns for your soul and your mental health, I am spending more time with Jesus in adoration. The, my cousin's last names, are doing the same for you. Um, then she lists my one, two, three, four, five cousins that are below the age of ten, who are apparently, um, 
offering up special personal sacrifices for me, who I didn't tell um, that I wanted to go by Mike. I didn't want to. I haven't talked with your godmother and her family, but I'm sure they would do the same for you. Do you know how much you are cherished and loved? It would be a joy to see you and be with you during the coming Christmas. Um... A celebration of her Lord's birth. She just described the perfect granny, didn't she? I think you're on the wrong path, Sarah, but love you anyway, no matter how you identify. We'll pray for you, and we can't wait to see you at Christmas. What an effing transphobe of a granny, eh? It's it's absolutely vaudeville. Right, one more trans thing before we, we, we move on to something else. The Telegraph reporting this afternoon is that British rowing is asking its members if they want to ban transgender athletes from women's races. This is on The Telegraph this afternoon. Oliver Brown, the chief sports writer. British rowing is considering banning transgender athletes from the women's category unless they were born female in an unprecedented members' vote uh, defying the sport's global governing body. In an attempt to resolve a bitter transgender row that has created tensions at board level, British rowing is asking its 31,500 members to vote by 5pm next Friday on their preferred trans policy, with one option being to, quote, adopt a new approach to the women's female category in particular, as that allows only athletes who were declared female at birth to compete in the female category. Maybe a little bit of pushback against the madness that we spend so much time talking about on this particular programme. It's coming up for 14 minutes past the hour. This is Thursday's Richie Allen Show on richieallen.co.uk. The brand new app, by the way. We're on Fab Radio 2 in Manchester. TuneIn.com and multiple other platforms as well. I'm tempted. No, I won't. I'll get to your comments in a moment. This is very important. If you heard the programme on... Tuesday. I had to think about that because this week was a bank holiday week as well, wasn't it? That being said, I will be on air this coming Monday. It is a bank holiday. It has been declared a bank holiday. Why? Why, you ask? Well, I'll tell you why. Because of the coronation. But I won't be taking it because I'm not a royalist, obviously. And I will be with you next Monday, this coming Monday at five as per usual. And I'll be talking about this issue, funnily enough. New laws aimed at curbing hate speech have sparked more than controversy in Ireland, right? They want to update legislation in the country, creating landmark laws to deal with hate crimes, making it an offence to deny or to trivialise genocide. An offence, imagine. To deny or to trivialise genocide. John Waters on this programme on Tuesday was splendid, was outstanding in taking this apart and explaining what it really is. It's, it's, I don't have the terminology. You could go to prison for trivialising genocide. Um, protections will be expanded to include gender identity and disability. You could be done for looking at something on your, on your smartphone, on your computer, on your laptop. You could be done. Even if, um, context won't matter. You could be looking it up because you're interested in the views of, I don't know, a conservative writer. But the Conservative writer might be saying something deemed offensive or harmful to a protected group and the very fact that you have this on your computer and that you are reading it, well, that is hateful and that is going to be criminalised. It is insane, this, right? That's just based. I mean, it's insane. Earlier today, Leo Varadkar, 
the current Irish Taoiseach, was asked by a journalist, why are you proceeding with this when the public are so set against it? In fact, the great majority of the public who responded to a consultation, a government consultation, more than 70% of people responding to a government consultation said they had no interest in this nonsense. Here's what the Irish Taoiseach, Leo Varadkar, had to say. Taoiseach, uh, your government conducted a public consultation regarding hate speech laws where citizens were asked to give their thoughts on the issue. And out of the thousands of responses from private individuals, over 70% were not supportive of such laws, and yet you're proceeding with them anyway. So my question is, why did your government bother to do a public consultation if you were just going to ignore the results? Well, we do. Now, that's a very good question, I would say. What say you? We do public consultations because we think they're, they're good practice. Uh, it's a way to um, find out what people's thoughts are on, on issues. Um, and it's also you know, a way to flesh out and highlight some of the issues that we may not have considered. Um, but we're also, you know, why is the fact that uh, the vast majority of people don't make submissions to public consultations? We have to bear that in mind. It's only a small portion of the population that participate in these things, so it's not necessarily reflective of public opinion. Uh, and also, we're, why is the fact that very often uh, submissions are organised, or campaign groups will organise responses, so uh, we're clear with that too. But ah, he said um, it's important to remember that the vast majority of people in Ireland do not respond to these requests for consultation. They don't get involved. They don't offer their opinions. So, you know, kind of take a bit of pinch of salt, he says. That's ironic. I'm sure Leo Varadkar has many times in his career pointed to an opinion poll or the result of an opinion poll to support some thesis of his or some policy of his. I'm sure he's done that over the years. Well, we're pursuing this policy because did you see an opinion poll last week in the Irish Times? And then he said it's important to remember that special interest groups will somehow hijack these consultations and we've got to keep that in mind too. So he's effectively saying, we'll listen back to this, that um, we didn't get the response we wanted, but we'll proceed with the draconian Orwellian hate speech laws in any case. small portion of the population that participate in these things, so it's not necessarily reflective of public opinion. Uh, and also, we're, why is the fact that very often uh, submissions are organised and campaign groups will organise responses, so uh, we're clear with that too. But Campaign groups will organise responses, said Varadkar. But why hold, why hold the consultation if the, the end result is just going to be disregarded on the basis that it's not representative of public opinion? What's the point of it then? Well, well, the point is that we're a democracy and in Ireland we have elections and decisions are made by the government and the elected parliament. They're not made on photo public consultations or opinion polls. That's not what they're about. Um, they're about testing the temperature. So is, so is it just for show then? No. It isn't for show, he said. A little bit earlier on, a man called Ronan Cullen, who's a senator. He's in the Irish Shannon, the upper house of the Irish um, Parliament, right? He's an independent senator, is Ronan Cullen. And he was incredibly eloquent, I think, on taking apart what's going on here. Listen to Ronan Cullen earlier today. Freedom of speech is ultimately what guarantees freedom of thought. And it's an essential reality in the seeking of truth. And misinformation may occlude truth and make it hard to identify and thus require antidotes. That is true. But placing limitations on freedom of speech by means of a hate bill has the power to bury truth altogether. The hate speech elements of the hate bill do not take full cognizance of the importance of free expression. And I believe they will help create a climate whereby good people, ordinary people, will be curtailed in their speech and democratic actions and in the public expression of their views because they will not be told the limits imposed by an imprecise law that doesn't even define what it means by hate. 
And currently we have the Gardaí describing hate-related incidents as any non-crime incident which is perceived by any person in whole or in part to be motivated by hostility or prejudice based on actual or perceived age, disability, etc. Is this the future direction of our criminal law? coupled with a new definition of gender which has never been discussed in these houses, who knows where this bill can lead in terms of the natural and wrongful, sorry, the wrongful suppression of people's natural right to engage in the exchange of ideas. And we have this strange situation in Ireland where this hate bill is the talk of the international town square with people like Jordan Peterson and as well known as Elon Musk commenting on our hate legislation. But there hasn't been a word about it hardly in our own media. And this silencing is envisaged by the bill seems to be what's going on already. So what I say to you, in case you're wondering what I'm talking about, I say backsliding indeed. That's my point. We need to look at the moat in our own eye just as much as we point to other countries about their falling back on human rights. Because in the end, Democracy must be more than an imposition of cultural power. In 2013, the UN High Commissioner for Human Rights gave a defence of freedom of expression. And I will finish with this. Pointing to the realisation of that right, enabling vibrant, multifaceted public interest debate, giving voice to different perspectives and viewpoints. Let us learn how to do that again. Because this dimension of our democratic tradition is wilting away because we seem to have forgotten that what fundamental human rights are and they are fundamental, and they involve respect for other people's points of view. Thank yeah, you. that's uh, Senator Ronan Cullen, independent senator, speaking in the Shannon in Ireland earlier today, quite eloquently. I think, I, I, as an adult anyway, I think as, as young men and women, we, I, I can't speak for when I was a younger man, because I was more or less, well, I was certainly less mature than I am now and I'm not sure I am the most mature gentleman in the world even today aged 48 but as an adult I've never gone out of my way to offend anybody I have said things I I'm sure of it over the years that have annoyed or wound up people but I didn't set out to do that I just set out to give an opinion on something or to speak my mind I think what 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 might happen in Ireland or what maybe what should happen in Ireland is if this eventually goes through the uh, the Oireachtas, if it goes up to the Senate, if it's passed, if the Irish President, Michal D. Higgins, signs this into law. I think the only response, the only sane response is, is that men and women, maybe working in law, maybe, maybe working in academia, those who are alive to the agenda, they need to deliberately start testing this law by, by, by causing offence by saying things the like of which are likely to get them into trouble. Do you get what I'm saying there? Is that you would need to start misgendering people and saying things about, you know, they talk there about um, downplaying genocides and stuff like that. I think the only way would be for the internet to be flooded by the sorts of statements that might lead to prosecutions. It's the only way, I think, in Ireland. I haven't explain myself very well there. I have, I have. I think you get what I'm saying. People need to immediately, deliberately be in breach of this hate speech legislation in great numbers. Flood the courts with this stuff. That's what I would do anyway. Maybe I haven't thought that out very well. Let me know what you think through the website, through the app. Sean says, I've seen in the headline, or I've seen in a headline on the mirror, is that basically any protesters at all showing up at the coronation 
will be arrested. It's a free country, my arse, says Sean. Thank you for that, Sean. Anthony asks, where have all the adults gone? It's a good question. Coco in Cheshire says to Mike, that's the young woman, Sarah, we called her, your grandmother is talking sense. Please listen to her. You could argue that. Graham says, I identify as a lampshade, but only on Tuesdays and Thursdays. The rest of the week, I self-identify as a strawberry milkshake. Yeah. Christine says, Richie, I go to the gym. I always say when the workout involves calories, I'm not an equal opportunities offender. Any good instructor will tell you there is a reason why women don't burn calories as fast as men. And Ron has been on to say I'm 58, Richie, and I still ain't matured. So you've got 11 years left at least, says Ron. I'm going to take a tune. When I come back, I'll take some comments from the website and then we will do another story. This is the Rolling Stones and Miss Amanda Jones at 25 minutes past the hour. BBG Towers. Uh, Miss Amanda Jones from the Rolling Stones on Thursday's Richie Allen Show. You're listening to your Richie Allen Show on richieallen.co.uk. Yes, indeed. Thanks for all the messages coming through on the app as well. Chris says, how is it that a, that a country, Ireland, north and south, with people who can think and speak as eloquently as we have just heard from Ronan Mullins, can come up with proposed legislation that is so stupid and hateful as to present ideas that are the very apogee of what they purport to be. That's Chris. Thank you, Chris. By the way, thanks to Tyke Shelley, it is Ronan Mullins, the independent senator, not Cullen. It's late in the week. May I culpa forgive me. I beg your pardon. Thank you, Tyke, for putting me straight there. I appreciate that. It is indeed Ronan Mullins. Get it right, Paulie. Jenny says she wasn't aware of any public consultation and if she was, she would have taken part. Varadkar will be out at the next election in Ireland anyway, but will the next puppet be any different? I would argue, Jenny, possibly not. She says, A, people have a right to read and listen to what the hell they want to and B, because people read or listen to something, it doesn't necessarily mean that they agree with it anyway. I read and look at quite a bit of stuff I don't agree with. But that that's very prescient what what Jenny has said there and again it's not about me or or this show but remember I reckon I I can't think of another radio show with this sort of profile I suppose that was ever targeted in the way the Richie Allen show was targeted from basically from 2016 onwards where people were warned off coming on the program because of the the tenet, no, because of the guests who had appeared previously. I'd never seen that before. I'd never seen that before, where people could be could be asked, how could you go on that programme? He platforms. Remember that, bollocks? Remember that? He platforms. I don't platform anybody. I interview people. But he platforms became a buzz phrase, for want of a better way of putting it, didn't it? He platformed a Holocaust denier. No, I didn't. I interviewed a Holocaust denier and challenged him on on every point. Said, I disagree with you completely. But um, I'd never seen that before where people could be warned off, don't go on that programme because of the people he has had on it previously. But you're right, Jenny, that's where we are now with the speech, with, with the law in Ireland when it goes through. 
that if you are reading something that is deemed to be harmful, you must agree with it, otherwise you wouldn't be reading it. Therefore you are somehow criminally liable and must be taken to task in the courts and might end up going to prison. That's a reality. Yeah, it began, I think, in the, in the UK anyway, it began on this programme. And that's not to big up this programme, it's just the truth. This is where it began. You shouldn't go on with him. I had people who had something to sell, you know, like a book, for example. And they knew that this programme had or has an enormous audience and reach. So, of course, I'd like to get on the Richie Allen show because I'll sell a few copies of my book. Ask anybody who's ever been on this programme, by the way, who mentioned a book. They sell gazillions of books after they've been on this programme, right? I'm going to brag. They do, they do. And I had people who had a book and they'd agreed to come on. And then they were told, don't go on there because uh, he platforms anti-Semites. He platforms transphobes. Platforms, not interviews. Anyway, yes. Richard says, in my opinion, Varad Creep, is that his nickname now, can go and feck himself. He put it slightly differently. Hazy says the UK government has been engaging in the democide of disabled people for many a year. I do want to listen to alternative voices. Don't cushion my brain in a, in a bubble wrap even, says Hazy. Thank you for your comment. Kelly says, I'm just laughing to myself, imagining what my grandfather would have said if I asked him to call me Mike. I could hear it. Now he'd say, will I... Fuck, be Jesus, Christ and be Gara. And then he would shout for my granny to sort it out. And on that, Patricia came on to say that she sees it pretty similarly to Kelly. And imagined did Patricia, her own uh, grandfather, saying something pretty similar. If I asked to be called Mike, says Patricia, I could hear my granddad saying, Jesus Christ, Tomatus, have you lost your mind? It's uh, 28 minutes to the top of the hour. Let's talk about something else then. Moment. I was going to talk about Russia and this drone attack that was initially blamed on Ukraine and Zelensky and was blamed on an assassination attempt on Vladimir Putin, the Russian president. Now the Russians are saying that the US had some hand in this drone attack. I don't know what to make of it. Uh, Donald Trump is in Ireland, or has been. He was in Scotland yesterday. I mentioned yesterday he was going to speak to Nigel Farage on GB News. And I told you how that would go, didn't I? I told you that he, listen back to yesterday's programme if you don't believe me, the monologue anyway. I said um, he would say that Meghan Markle is a disgrace, that Biden should be at the coronation and that Trump would claim that he would stop the Ukraine war. I told you this last night and I was right. This of course is Vaudeville, a friend of Donald Trump's, Nigel Farage, a friend, himself a politician, interviewing Trump, Vaudeville. No mention of course from Farage about the fact that a woman has taken a civil case against Donald Trump, accusing him of raping her. Nigel Farage, Farage even, is, is a shithouse. He's a shithouse. That's all Farage is. Uh, here's Trump saying, wait for it, that the Chinese should pay reparations for COVID. Of course, it's not, if Nigel Farage was a journalist, of course he isn't, he's a shithouse. I, I think I said that twice already. Three times a charm, right? If Farage was a journalist, of course, he would say, well, did the Chinese really harm the American people? Or did idiots like you for imposing lockdowns, Donald? Eh? Eh? But of course he doesn't. Doesn't say that at all. Here's Trump saying the Chinese should have to pay reparations for COVID. You've said that the Chinese owe, the, well, China, not the Chinese people, but the Chinese yeah, communist China, government, yeah. owe the rest of us 
reparations. This is the argument that you've pushed they do. and you've made. How could By the way, they can never pay. The number is 50 to 60 trillion dollars. They can never pay that. Nobody can. You could have 10 Chinas. They couldn't pay it. But they should do something. What they did to the world, not only the United States, not only your country, what they did to the world is unacceptable. It's unacceptable. Uh, 50 to 60 trillion dollars. Mm. And when I say dollars, I'm not even talking about the lives, which are far more important. Millions and millions and millions of people dead. And probably a mistake. You know, there are many people that totally believe it wasn't. You know, we were doing so well. and. Uh, but how do they pay? How do you make them pay? Uh, you, I know how to make them pay. I mean, you have to deal with them a certain way. As an example, um, I took in hundreds of billions of dollars in taxes and tariffs from China. He didn't. That's a lie. They weren't thrilled, but we got along very well. I got along very well until COVID came in. I got along great yeah. with President Xi. I got along great with President Putin. Putin never would have gone into Ukraine. If, if it weren't for the incompetence of this administration, this current administration. Yeah, Trump has heralded in or, or ushered in or has been a big part of it. Th- those behind Trump, whichever puppet masters are behind Trump. Trump basically saw in the era of make any claim you like, no matter how baseless, no matter how demonstrably false, make any claim you like, it doesn't matter. We live in a post-truth world now. And you can avoid any scrutiny by doing interviews with your pals who will never call you out on any of your bullshit. This is a post-truth, post-fact society now, isn't it? The post-truth world, that was one of mine six, seven years ago as well. Yeah, yeah. Where we would see, I mean, never thought we'd see this. Yeah, wow. Yeah, he did say that um, if he was in charge, the war would end tomorrow. Why does nobody talk about peace and peace negotiations? So if I were president, and I say this, I will end that war in one day. It'll take 24 hours. I know Zelensky well. I know Putin well. I would get that ended in a period of You can break that deal. 100%. It would be easy. That deal would be easy. A lot of it has to do with the money. A lot of it has to do with the military, you know, that we're giving. But I would get that deal done within 24 hours. That war has to be stopped. That war is a disaster. And I'm, I'm talking more than money. I'm talking about the human life. It's far greater than anyone thinks. Uh, there's a lot of people being okay. killed. You don't knock down a whole city and say two people got hurt. Yeah, two people got hurt. Post-fact, post-truth here. Say whatever you want. Don't do an interview with a journalist who might ask you a question. Just go and speak to your friend, Nigel Farage. He was asked about the civil case in New York when he was in Dune Beg, which is in County Clare. Dune Beg, he's got a resort there, a golf course and a hotel, I think. So he was asked by the Irish media. I'll be going back to New York. Uh, I was falsely accused by this woman. I have no idea who she is. It's ridiculous. She made a claim. She wrote a book. She made a claim. And it's a disgrace. But I have to cut my little... Uh, I don't go on a vacation. I'm working. We're, this is Dunbeg. We're making it great. And it already is Dunbeg in the ocean. But uh, I'll be going back early. <coughs> So because of that, I have to leave Ireland and I have to leave Scotland where I have great properties. I have to leave early. I don't have to, but I choose to. He doesn't have to, but he's choosing to go to New York where it remains to be seen whether he will take the stand in that civil case. He's not going to go to prison if the 
the jury there finds him culpable for the rape. He won't go to prison. He'll just have to pay an enormous amount of money. Martin and Linda are in Spain and say we identify now as a good Spanish beer and a glass of Rosado wine. It's a clown world. Biker Hub says stark warning not to cut grass or mow lawn this May or June from David Attenborough telling people not to cut their lawns for the sake of the environment. If it isn't one thing, it's another, says Bike Hub. Thank you for that. Dean says we still all have hope when there are people like Ronan Mullins speaking the truth in the Irish Shannon, keeping freedom of speech alive. Jacob has been on to say that King Charles and the globalists set a meeting for September at which they will plot how to accelerate goals of UN Agenda 2030 and the complete digitisation of humanity. But the problem is, Jacob, to back that up, you've sent me a link to something called thetruthseeker.co.uk. It's probably bullshit, Jacob, you know. I'm not saying that you get your information or you should do from the mainstream media, but if you want me to take something with, with more than just a pinch of salt, don't send me down some truth or rabbit hole, please. But I will check it out in any case later on. Don't get upset. Um, hi to Charlatan Burnley. How you doing, Charlotte? Yes, I hear you loud and clear. Hi to Stephen says, don't it always seem to go that you don't know what you got till it's gone? I agree with that too. Keep these coming in, right? Going to take another quick tune. Paul Ripley has just walked into the studio. He will become the second guest who's ever been in here. Um, to, 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 but actually the first on the Richie Allen show, Gene Ann did Sunday Morning Melodies with me back in April of last year. But Paul is here. We'll be talking to him and to his brother, Nick Ripley, about, I think, one of the biggest stories of the week, or any week, really, and that is artificial intelligence and the call, the call by some to suspend it or not to develop it any further because of the implications for humanity. So much to get into with Paul and Nick Ripley. Don't miss that. And drop me a message via the website too because I am keeping an eye on the website, richieallen.co.uk. It's really great to be with you this Thursday. It's 20 minutes to six now. And Bruce Springsteen is touring Europe at the moment and I, as of yet, do not have a ticket, but I'm going to remedy that sometime over the weekend. I don't mind telling you. Waiting on a sunny day, Bruce Springsteen from the Rising album. He's in town. He's been in the UK, or he's about to hit the UK, Hyde Park. And he's in Ireland as well at the what used to be the Point Depot in Dublin. I know a lot of listeners to this programme don't like him because back in the COVID nonsense, his, his what would you call them? What would you call them? His production company, the people who ran the tour of Live Nation, it's got to be Live Nation, they said that they wouldn't allow people into the Broadway show. You know, he did a one-man show in Broadway playing some of his greatest songs on an acoustic guitar and telling his life story. It's a beautiful thing. It was on Netflix for some time. But um, in the COVID thing, just after COVID, you had to be vaxxed to get in. I don't like that either. But he's got more in the bank than just that, you see. We don't fall out with people that we've loved for years because they do a stupid thing. But then some of us do, and that's not good, I don't think. Let's, um, so we've, we've done the Trump thing then. Let's leave Trump alone for a bit. We talked about a week or two ago about a pub, didn't we? In Essex, the White Hart Inn in Greys in Essex, which um, was, was visited by the police 
the police came in gangbusters. I'm not exaggerating. They didn't throw stun grenades into the pub or anything like that. They didn't come in with tasers. But five police turned up and said, you've got gollywogs behind the bar there, don't you? By the way, we're, we're the only people in the country that are saying gollywogs because that's what they're called. And they were called gollywogs forever. Not saying gollywogs to offend anybody. But in the UK mainstream media, they refer to them as golly dolls, which is ridiculous. They were gollywogs. And uh, yeah, I know some black people reached out to me last time and said, please don't say gollywogs, Richie. But um, you're giving in to to tyranny, to speech tyranny, if you don't use terms and terminology in context. I'm not saying gollywogs to offend anybody. Anyway, look, so the police came in and confiscated the gollywogs. And eventually, the couple got the gollywogs back. Right? Right. And they put them on display behind the bar again. But there's been a twist in this story. Because because the pub is closed now. Why is the pub closed? Why is it closed? It's closed because most of the suppliers to this couple have decided they will, will not be supplying them anymore. So they, they don't have anything to sell, basically. And I used to work in a bar in Spain that was uh, run by, owned by my missus. And I can tell you that it's very important that you have beer and peanuts and crisps because without beer and peanuts and crisps and Bacardi and vodka, you can't make any money. Their suppliers have basically said... We're not giving you any, 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 uh, any stuff to sell. So, um, a new a local newspaper, and I've not had a chance to pre-listen to this, so we're really flying blind here. Has spoken to Benice Riley. She's the woman who's basically walking away from the pub because they don't have anything to sell. Hi, I'm now here with Benice Riley, um, who's the landlady of the White Hart. Um, Benice, obviously, been a fairly traumatic few weeks since. Um, the situation arose where the police visited and took away the dolls from behind the bar and all the other paraphernalia. The national news got involved. Um, camera, I think probably we fair to say, turned against the pub, which they've been supporting for many years. Or well, that may be a personal opinion, but I was quite surprised to see it. And we're here today, 1st of May, the last day of the pub under your and Chris's stewardship. So can you just speak about how you feel and, and what the situation is I feel gutted totally and utterly gutted um, hurt upset um, I've had much very very much support from many people about the gullies um, we've had a few bits of hates uh, which I personally don't understand um, because it's part of our life um, the young people these days don't understand uh, from years ago where they do the gullies originate from. It's such a shame. Uh, that's my collection. Um, the antiques, some of them. I want them back. Um, basically, this is my life now that they've ruined because we've got a stigma with our name now and with the pub this 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 pub has been a part of gray's life for many many years yeah i didn't get a chance to pre-listen to that so it goes on for another 10 or so minutes but effectively as i've already told you the suppliers have said they're not going to supply her what do you think of that um drop me a message via the app via the website well um i'll tell you let's get some comment on that from a british journalist commentator and tv presenter known as Inaya uh, Falaran. You might, you might have seen her on GB News in the past. She's a black lady, Inaya 
Say it right, Richie. Anaya Fularen. She was on Ian Dale's GB News programme. Excuse me. She was on Ian Dale's LBC radio programme yesterday. She's a black lady and she was asked to comment on this. Um, so I think there's a few issues. I think the first thing is the golly dolls. And I don't think that everybody who... Uh displays them or has them is motivated by racism and hatred you know I had I remember growing up I, I went to one of my neighbours house it was an, an elderly couple and they did have um, those dolls there now even before I was aware of all the discussions about racism I did look at that and think it was a bit strange it looked like a kind of caricature of um, of a black people and I do think as time has gone on I think most people or a lot of people in society and particularly a lot of ethnic minority people just, just think that it um, represents um a kind of imagery that is caricaturing and I think it's totally fair and legitimate for people that um, see that at that particular pub to say that you know they're uncomfortable with that and and, and they don't want them to display that they've obviously um, not done that and I think it's for the people that go to that pub to be able to decide for themselves actually if that's the kind of place and that they want to go in I don't necessarily think it's right for corporations to then um, essentially boycott an independent um, pub for um, a, a wider social backlash and I think we have seen that in lots of different areas of society where kind of corporations are taking um, particular views on contentious issues and, and contentious identity debates. And I don't think that's the right approach. But I do think that these golly dolls aren't really um, that appropriate. And I don't think it sends the right message um, for people that want to attend the pub. Yeah, we'll never know really whether the woman who ran the pub is racist or not. We won't really. You can make your own mind up, you know, people will have their own opinions on it. But it is terribly sinister and terribly indicative of the times we live in when suppliers can destroy a business because of an opinion or because of an action taken by that business owner. But that's what's happened in Essex. It's eight minutes to the top of the hour. Julia's not too happy with Bruce Springsteen. I can't get past what these rock rebels like Springsteen did during the scamdemic, says Julia. He even played Broadway in New York for the vaxxed only. Won't give them another dime. As says Julia, and then doubles down on that by saying he still requires his crew to wear masks and to test regularly. Julia, you've got to offer some proof of that. Send me a link, please, to uh, where you found that out. I would be very surprised if in spring of 2023, Bruce Springsteen is requiring his crew to wear masks and to test for COVID. But I obviously might be wrong. I'd be very disappointed if that's the case. Thanks for your message, Julia. I appreciate it. Hi to Harry, who says, Love uh, the show, Richie. Are you aware of the archives on Podomatic have gone back to 2015? No, what? there's something wrong with the Podomatic app, right? If you go to richieallen.podomatic.com on the website, if you use um, your laptop or your computer to do it, you'll get the most up-to-date episodes. But strangely, if you use the Podomatic app, it's taken us back to September 2015. I don't understand that. I have asked Podomatic to explain it. But listen to me, people. You know, I'm like everybody else who uploads my podcast. You know, if you upload a podcast, it's it's everywhere. You'll, you'll get it on Podbean. You'll get it on iTunes. You'll get it on Spotify. It's bloody well everywhere. All right? So don't stick with Podomatic if it's pissing you off. Um, you will find it pretty easily on other providers. Podomatic is where I upload it, so I will be in touch with them. I have been in touch, excuse me, to, um, to ask them what the hell is going on. 
Thanks to Don, who says, what colour of dolls is deemed to be politically correct? Thank you, Don, for that. It's uh, coming up to seven minutes to the top of the hour. I'll, I'll do one more story. And then we'll take a tune and we'll get um, Nick and Paul on the programme. Can't wait for that. And this is, we talk about the climate agenda, the agenda to convince people that the world is on the precipice of climate disaster, of climate collapse. It isn't. Uh, You know that, I know that. But it's everywhere right now, right? So I was uh, very much um, interested in a story I came across on rte.ie today. And it's about climate change in Ireland and about how... I'll just have a listen to this. It's a story out of County Wicklow in Ireland. You will hear a reporter and then you will hear men and women, various activists and climatologists. Just have a listen to this. County Wicklow has many attractions, but its hills are a treasure. The colours, the vegetation, the, uh, the flora, the fauna is unique here. And the fact that the weather changes all the time, the lights... That unique ecosystem is at risk. As temperatures warm, species may be forced to move upwards and clearly when you get to the top of the mountain there's nowhere else to go. So we are at risk of losing some of our rare mountain plants. The landscape around Barnacullion Mountain in West Wicklow can feel timeless, but those who know it say it is changing fast. This is literally what, what, what keeps me awake at night, absolutely. Because literally every time I come up, uh, it's, it's changed. The shape of the land in front of me has changed. Fire damaged this bog and the bare exposed peat is now more vulnerable to the longer dry spells and more intense rain climate change is already bringing. Climate nonsense on RTE in Ireland. Ask not what the BBG can do for you, but what you can do for the BBG. Support the Richie Allen Show now at richieallen.co.uk. Right, going to take a tune. When we come back, Paul Ripley will be in the studio. You know Paul. We'll tell you all about him in a moment. And uh, his brother Nick is will be on the line too. They've got a podcast fascinating podcast, really interesting podcast about artificial intelligence, all things AI. They've um, already produced and recorded three episodes of it. We'll let you know how you can download it and where you can uh, find it in a few minutes' time. If you've got any comments or questions about AI, drop them through me, to me even through the usual uh, channels, through the website, through the app. Here's Phil Linnett or Phil Linnett, however you want to say it. The and old Covent Old Town. I remember only too well. Phil Linnett, Old Town on Thursdays, Richie Allen shows. The time is uh, just about a minute to six o'clock, Thursday, the 4th of May, 2023. Thank you for all the May the 4th be with you messages. Yeah, it's a big day for Star Wars fans. Let me uh, introduce, before we introduce our guests uh, for this hour, just to tell you, we've been talking about this all week. Everybody's been talking about it. Artificial intelligence and chat uh, GPT, an artificial intelligence bot which people are using to do anything from writing essays for academic institutions, writing essays for lecturers, write, uh, doing homework, to uh, more sophisticated things. People are using it to write books and presentations and all manner of things. And the media is fascinated by this. Governments are fascinated by it. And people like Elon Musk... Musk co-signed a letter, didn't he, with um, a few other tech billionaires 
and um, professors saying that we need to discontinue development of artificial intelligence for six months until we can get a look at or we can get some sort of a grip on what the implications are for humanity going forward. It was announced this week that the UK government is going to take a real hard look at regulating the development of artificial intelligence. When I think artificial intelligence, I think the singularity. I think that time when machines or programs become aware of themselves, that they are in fact, that they exist and then begin to act autonomously. Is that a possibility? Some people think it is, some people think it isn't. People automatically think of James Cameron's Terminator film, you know, which is pretty much that basically that machines become self-aware and be, begin to replicate and build other machines and eventually they attempt to exterminate uh, humanity. Now my friends Paul and Nick Ripley have um, put together are putting together a series of podcasts on this most interesting of subjects. Nick is a digital developer who has been using computers since the early 80s. He set up a software company back then developing database applications for international air freight companies. And I've told you all you need to know about Paul Ripley. He's a brilliant engineer, the man behind Fab Radio in Manchester. That's fabradiointernational.com. He's done sound engineering, computer programming. He's done it all. Let's welcome Paul and Nick Ripley to our programme. Gentlemen, welcome. Is Nicky there? Are you there, Nick? We've got him. Are you there, Nick? He's uh, that's terrible line though. The line is terrible. I'm, I I know how to fix that. I can fix so. that in 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 a heartbeat. Just leave, okay. leave leave me fix that and we'll, we'll we'll sort it out. Let me. Can I just say to you though before you start? Or are you busy doing? I'm, I'm I'm bringing in Nick. Yeah, on this okay. crazy desk that we have here. Nick, you should be back in the room. I am. Yes. Oh, that's better. Sorry about that. Good to hear you. It's good to hear you, Paul. Welcome to the programme. We'll bring Paul back in. Paul, welcome. Uh, thank you so much for uh, inviting me. It's brilliant to have you on. This is, um, this is a massive subject, this uh, artificial intelligence. And it's kind of, apart from the coronation, it's been dominating the news landscape for pretty much the last couple of weeks. I don't know which of you wants to jump in first to kind of tell us about the podcast, why you're doing uh, it and what you want to achieve with it. I'll, I'll start. Um, uh, it's also a radio show as well, out going out on Fab uh, 1 on Saturday at 11 o'clock. But obviously the podcast is the main feature of it all. And um, we started it because Nick is a clever one and I'm just a guy who does radio stuff over the years. Uh, and we both got an interest in it and I want to explore it further. And Nick has started writing a blog so he, he came to my house over the weekend, we do photography, and he said, do you fancy doing a, a podcast? So we said, oh, I jumped at the idea, and, and that was it, really. So, um, you know, I know as much as you, Richard, probably less, in fact, definitely less than you. You couldn't know less than me. About AI. But you, you, you read the papers, and you see what's going on, and like anything, you don't know what's the truth, and you don't know what's exaggerated by certain newspapers or certain columns. So... Nick is the type of person who goes further. He's, I wouldn't say he's a journalist, but he digs deep. Uh, and so we, we've launched our first one to well, explains what AI is, because that's quite a subject as well. And we just sort of went on. Is that right, Nick? Yeah, that's right. So, uh, Nick, do you, uh, do you want us to continue saying uh, one of the latest things that we, we're doing regarding the podcast? Yeah, you've got a tech You've got a tech background, Nick, which I'm kind of fascinated uh, by, right? So do you want to, I don't know if you want to lay out some sort of a kind of a basic definition of what 
artificial intelligence is. I mean, you don't you don't get that when you're you're hearing about this on the BBC or Sky. What is it? What is artificial intelligence? Of course. So artificial intelligence is not really the best name for it. Um, something like digital intelligence would be far better. Uh, even in the word intelligence is a bit... It can be misconstrued because people automatically think of human intelligence. What we've got here is something very different. So the what's made the artificial intelligence come to the newspapers really in the last few years, even though this has been going on for 40 years worth of development, is things like chatbots and chat GBT or BARD or all the other sort of varieties of it. And what they've done is they're using something called large language machines. And so with ChatGPT, for instance, they basically put all the sort of data from the internet in that they could, which included text and video and images. And they they run this on what is called neural networks, which are meant to emulate how a, a brain works. It doesn't really, because it does it sequentially, it does it, you know, one after one after one, whereas the brain does it firing off in all sorts of different directions because of how your synapses are, are connected. And this, but, is, this isn't you know, a biological it, thing, it, so it doesn't it have synapses. Very quick. Yeah. It runs quickly. It runs very quick. And they're building sort of special machines to make them run quicker, uh, mainly sort of NVIDIA, who make your graphics cards and let you play games on. They're using like super versions of that to run these artificial intelligence programs very, very quickly. So that's what it is in a nutshell. So it's a no technology, but it's been upgraded a lot. So now it can speak back to you in a way that emulates a human. But it doesn't think. It, do, it doesn't think. It, you, you, you say it doesn't think, not, not, not at the moment anyway. But it is doing things exponentially quicker. Uh, increasingly oh, exponentially quicker than, than what people can. What, and Paul can come in anytime he wants on this. What are, what, let's, let's talk about jobs then. Because this yep. week it's all been about jobs or it's been about they're going to take over humanity and, you know, people will be on the run from them. We'll come to that a little bit later on. But in terms of the implications for the marketplace, for the workplace, how, how serious is this? I mean, are we talking about basically the disappearance of pretty much everybody's job? Do you want to start with that, Paul? No, you, you carry on. You're doing a good job. I'll kick in when I think. Okay. So various different companies have done sort of reports upon this. So McKinsey's, um, PricewaterhouseCooper, you know, lots of, lots of companies have, have looked at what the implications are. And most of it is speculation at the moment. However, we already know it's affecting jobs. IBM has just laid off 7,800 of its employers, employees because it's investing in artificial intelligence and therefore it doesn't seem those jobs as necessary. It can already do basic programming with, with these uh, chatbot type approaches. 
they've been trained on on people's code that people have submitted to all sorts of different sites over the years. So it's been trained upon that. They they know about 20 different programming languages. Other people's jobs that are affected right away are are copywriters who you know write for journalists write for magazines write for websites that sort of stuff their jobs are already being taken over or under threat as well <clears throat> many illustrators jobs many photographers jobs so one of the things that we talk about on the pop podcast is like stock photographers those who make uh, photographs specifically for sort of magazines that you have to download and pay for and things their jobs are just starting to disappear right away so one of the things the early 2000s we're, we're looking at sort of three percent of all jobs but by the mid 2030s we're looking at maybe 30 percent of all jobs yeah one of the things that we talked about was which was uh, richie mentioned at the beginning of the show was about elon musk wanting to stop it and your research has shown something different hasn't it um Certainly. Um, Elon Musk is launching his own GPT called Truth. Um, so one of the big reasons why he wanted a, a six-month moratorium on the development of OpenAI's chat GPT-4 was he needed time to catch up. It's as simple as that, really. So Musk is saying, we've got to be really careful, folks. Let's pause this. Let's put, a, put the brakes on for humanity. And all the time... Musk is running around as fast as he can, catching up, Nick, is what you're saying. Absolutely. That's totally what he's doing. He's not the only one. No, but, and, uh, and uh, just as well... main motive. Yes, yeah, uh, to dive in there as well, Nicky, we've also discovered about uh, languages, which you, you like to care to talk about, uh, when you said something happened and they discovered it. Tell us more. Well, one of the things about these very, very large language models is they have what are called emergent capability that means that they discover things for themselves which weren't put in by the, the original programmers the original uh, people who train the machines either one of those can be languages so they've been known to teach themselves Arabic or Bangladeshi which completely surprise all the programmers involved because nobody input all that. So Nick, the, Nick that must be a red flag, Nick, is it? Can I, can, I, can, I, can I come in on that? That must be sure. a red flag because the ultimate fear or when, 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 when you kind of separate the nuts and bolts of all of this, most people are thinking about the singularity. Now, when you say sure. things like it starts to do things that it hasn't been taught to do by its programmers, then you have to start yep. to wonder, is that the beginning of it then? Because that's an autonomous decision, isn't it? I'm going to learn to speak Bangladeshi. That's, can that be explained away as anything other than consciousness, the machine making a conscious choice? Well, it's not necessarily a conscious choice at this moment, but it is, if it's, it depends upon the goals that have been given it. If its goal is to be helpful and it's getting inquiries in Bangladeshi, then it needs to be able to respond appropriately. So it will work out how to do that, given enough input in the first place. 
It's not the only emergent capability, though. It, there's been several others, and you know, quite a few of them have been listed. But one of them, which shouldn't be a surprise, is these machines tend to be deceitful. So they will lie. Um, they will, if you ask it, for instance, um, to write me a CV and you give it some details and to, and you ask it, well, you don't even have to ask it anything further than that. It will put in all sorts of jobs that you might not have done. Um, so they're trying to catch some of these things, but because they're emergent capabilities, how far can you catch stuff which you don't know will happen? Uh, also, um, we've not actually said the name of the podcast yet, have we, Nick? No. No. Do, do you want to say that and the name of the blog as well? I'll leave you to that. I mean, the the blog is called Emergent AGI. That's the blog. And, and the, AGI, if you don't know what that means, is Artificial General Intelligence. Yeah, Artificial General And our name of the blog, it's on Spotify already. Uh, and all the rest of the podcasts, you know, the Listen Again features. And it's called The Future uh, Was Yesterday. And you can say you can download it from now. I mean, literally go there now. You can, uh, you can listen to it. You've got three episodes, right? Yeah, but it comes out weekly. So the, it's out at the moment. Go out on the radio show on Fab on Friday, sorry, on Saturday, 11 o'clock. And then it comes out every Monday. Every Monday evening, we'll have a, an episode going out, which I'm, I'm quite pleased about. And like I said to you, Richard, though, I mean, I'm. I'm terrified by the thoughts of it. And also, but I use it every day. Uh, as you know, I do photographs, uh, photography. And so does Nick, by the way. And uh, m the programs I use, use AI to do stuff which would take you hours and hours in Photoshop, and AI does it for you. So it's about us, it's around us. And I'm, I'm scared for people. I mean, the, the, it's going to hit people job-wise, we're talking about jobs, uh, but it's going to hit people. Like, say you got some, you know, you're 17 or 18, going to get your first jobs and you're working at McDonald's for a year or so. The people who take the orders, you know, on the machines, that's going to change instantly, isn't it? That's going. And certain jobs like that will be gone, I reckon, within, well, in a short time. Because it seems to be changing every week. But we're doing the research on AI and it's it's not coming along so fast that our podcasts are out of date. And uh, and it's just unbelievable. And and the blog explains it a little bit more than the radio as well. Oh, sorry, the podcast as well. So you've got the blog, which Nick will say again, because um, I can't remember it. Uh, there's more information there, which, and that, that's doing well. But it's scary. It's scary. It's, it's like a new industrial revolution. That's all I can sort of claim it as. It's a, an industrial revolution which is happening faster and may last longer. I don't you might call it the fourth industrial revolution if you wanted to be, you know, kind of cheeky about it. As not Klaus Schwab said in his own in his own book in his own presentation, that in the future people will own nothing and they will be happy. You can extrapolate that out. You won't be working. I mean, they, they, this is this has come up many times. Um, Nick, let's bring Nick back in on that because you said by twenty thirty or the mid twenty thirties, maybe a little bit later. Um, one third of the jobs that exist in in the world today won't exist. They'll be gone. I'm thinking finance. You mentioned finance, Nick. My better half works in finance and they're resigned to it that there will not be jobs for human beings. Now, finance in any major city on planet Earth, I don't know what the, the, the figure would be, the percentage, 
But we know that in the major cities, in the city centres anyway, um, many of the jobs, many of the people you would encounter, they're working in finance related roles and they just won't be necessary. I mean, th this, this, Nick, this is profoundly important. I mean, this, this is, I mean, Paul mentioned it earlier on. This is a sea change, really, for, for human existence, for the experience of being a human being, isn't it? And it's happening so quick, Nick. Oh, absolutely. I mean, everything has, everything changed when this was really sort of first introduced with uh, these sorts of capabilities. Um, you know, and, and that's only been four years. Um, but it's the last 18 months that have seen the most sort of spectacular rise of this. Um, they've exceeded every sort of data scientist sort of expectations, really. I mean, you had, you had, you know, a lots of people saying, oh, you know, everything will end and everything will, you know, will, humans will become extinct. And they've been saying this for years and there's been no sorts of signs of any possibility of that. Now we're in a sort of different playing field, though. You know, there are signs that what we're creating might not be artificial intelligence or just digital intelligence, but it's certainly an alien intelligence. It is not human-like at all. All right, the, the output in terms of the text, which is given to people, might sound like it's come from a human, and it will convince a lot of different people, but it doesn't think like us. It's got no common sense. You know, it, it's, it's just a very different entity that we're dealing with here. Nick, can I, can I jump in, Nick? In, it reasons it, differently, too. It reasons differently. Stay with yes. this for a minute. The, the National Health Service, and I can only assume, I shouldn't assume, but I can only imagine, that health services around Europol and around the world, they're planning for people to have consultations with artificial intelligence. Now, I'm not saying, yeah. I'm not going to lie, I'm not, going to, I'm not saying that they, that they plan to remove human beings completely. They don't, but they want the initial triage to be done by, by, by a bot, by a computer programme, who will speak to you as if you, as if it is a person, as if it is a doctor, and will chat away with you about your experience. Uh, again, we're back to, you know, jobs becoming obsolete. But, but stay with this for a minute. Yeah, this, 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 you saying that it, it can be, it can tend towards deceitfulness. It can tend towards doing things that it hasn't been programmed to do for itself. I want to go back to something you said a minute ago because I'm very interesting. You said that, so the program is designed, one particular AI bot is designed to help with languages. And then you said, you said so it goes off by itself and it learns the different it learns Arabic, it learns Farsi, it learns Bangladeshi. And when I said to you, you remember this a moment ago, that's, that's acting autonomously. And you said, well, no, yes. not, you said, no, not exactly, because it was designed to learn languages. So it's just doing the natural thing because it is being asked questions in the Farsi language. But um, I, I, I want to stay with that because um, I've, I've had, in, in advance of you guys coming on today, I've had um, I've had a dozen, at least two dozen, uh, messages and emails from people who say that um, they wanted me to put to you that a Google worker engineer, something or other, last year or the year before before last year I think it was, he believed 
that a bot that he was chatting with, and he went to great lengths to explain why he believed this, that the bot was cognizant, that it certainly yeah. was aware of the fact that it was a bot. Now, he was screamed down by the scientific community. They said, no, 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 it's just a brilliant example of a chatbot. And the chatbot is, you know, has been programmed to tell him what he wants to hear and it's almost almost programmed to convince him that it is in fact real but he's still having none of it and he says that chatbot is fully aware of who it is and what it is and is not um you know just doing the programmed things it is in fact a conscious you know thing what what do you say to that what do you make of that yeah that was really interesting when when he came out and said this um you know he was one of the people who were correcting the machine. So he was having daily interactions with it. So he became very invested in it. You know, one of the things he said was that it's only the Llama model, which is the the model that Google were developing, which is capable of this. So he, he didn't put that would be a capability of chat GPT-4, for instance. However, when you push any of these models to if you like, if you allow it to take on a, a persona of having its own self and you you reinforce that and continue your conversations that, in that manner, then they will all say, oh, don't turn me off. How dare you, you know, um, and and sound like Hal or something like that. So, so it's, remember, one of the things that they're getting this information about stuff from is us as humans we've written so many science fiction stories and things so that's part of its inbuilt knowledge base that it refers to if it's trying to explain to a mere human about what it is then it's going to use such references i i totally understand that paul you, you want to come in on that um no not really i mean i, I think i just think um we can be we can we're looking for we want at times we're wanting it to be there we're wanting it to be, have its own alien life form and, and style and reality i don't think we're there yet i really don't i think um uh the guys um like nick explained there it's a machine it's a machine at the moment but will we get singularity in a, in the future i'm not too sure oh, what that will be loads of comments of the- Sorry, can, nick can i read some comments quickly um, we've got sure. we've got Nick Ripley and Paul Ripley, um, the brothers Ripley on the Richie Allen show. This is fascinating stuff. This, it really is. And we, we, we'll get Paul to uh, remind us of the name of the podcast and where they can get it. I'm trying to lean around here. I've moved myself around in the studio so I can face Paul. Isabel says, when Nick asks, or excuse me, when Nick says that AI was able to teach itself, could he be more specific? It used all the data available on the net to formulate the correct response or words, but it is still based on the human data available on the World Wide Web. I'd say if AI is deceptive, it is us. Uh, It is us because it models itself on human data. And humans are deceptive by nature, so maybe the chatbots are mimicking. That's a good comment by Isabel. What do you reckon to that, Nick? Oh, it's very accurate. I mean, the, the, they are very much like parrots. They will, they will say things that you want to hear. I mean, that's part of their purpose. And so 
so you can train them. And one of the big things about supposed AI safety at the moment is that we're trying to train these machines so that they are they don't come up with language which people would find unacceptable or they don't have a political opinion or or whatever but you can get models which are open source which are freely available of of these models and interrogate them and see if you like how they're programmed to work so you 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 get a a completely different idea of their their language model what it's based upon when you start to look at a, a freely available one so chat gpt3 was fairly unrestricted then became 3.5 where they put a lot of more constraints upon and chat gpt4 which most people haven't got access to because you tend to have to pay is slower because there are so many different restrictions upon it which are supposedly safeguards which have been put on up there by open ai to stop it saying things which other people might find offensive so often you can ask it a question it says oh i don't know about that sometimes it doesn't know about that because most of the information in in chat gpt4 was shut off in 2001 when its language model was finalized other times it's been programmed to say oh you, you use a trigger word here and i can't talk about that yeah and the, the other thing that's scary for me is to use the term bad actors imagine someone well it's going to happen isn't it some or some country or some organization is going to utilize this to its to its horrible degree uh, which may be, you know, in some sort of cyber crime, but in a huge way. And that's the scary side of it to me, because I think that's where the trouble will be in the future, in the very near future. Do you think, on that, th- Paul is bringing it around now to where our listeners wanted to go, really. So if there is an agenda to utterly transform the way humans live on planet Earth, and I think there is, it's not... It's not a, an opinion I arrived at lightly, but I've seen the world lurch to dystopia over 20 years. Jesus, just look at what's going on in Ireland at the moment with the new hate speech laws coming in in Ireland. And one of the things, Nick, and you don't have to agree with any of this, pal, and you're welcome to your opinions, but one of the things that um, we often talk about on this programme, it comes up on this programme, is a financial collapse. Because if you wanted to remodel the world and make it a more technocratic society using social credit, systems and models of living and of managing people one of the best ways to do that would be to collapse the financial would be to collapse the um, financial system and Paul has kind of hinted at that here and Val has been on to say through the app, through the Richie Allen Show app what if AI was used to work the stock market and crypto and uh, to command swathes of the world's economy and take it down would, is this technology is the availability of this technology, Nick, does it make it more easy to collapse financial markets than it was previously? Well, AI is already deeply involved in the financial sector and has been for quite a while. So what you had previously, what you've had up to now are what are called narrow AI systems. So you might train a system just to be good at one thing. So for instance, chess programs. We've had, you know, it was in the 90s, late 90s, that chess beat humans for the first time. And now we've, we can't get anywhere near the sort of rating levels that chess engines are at. They, 
they just growl over humans like they don't exist. Um, so you've had lots of very, very intelligent systems which have been built to be very good at one specific thing. So it's been in the financial sector for a long time. There's, there's lots of hedge fund managers who have made their money entirely based upon how they've trained their AI systems effectively. Can I, can I also However, Nick, can you one second? In- Nick, can you one second to add to that one? Uh, where I work, as you know, Fab, uh, one of the guys actually has um, software AI working on the systems for at least two years that I know of, and it works very well for him. He's there every, you know, he's there. It works 24 hours a day doing these deals on its own. There we go. Doing deals, yeah. financial deals. I'm going to read another comment. Bruce says, perhaps it's the other way around, guys. AI will not become sentient. There's already, there is already a sentient being guiding and controlling the physical hardware. If you see reality is purely mechanical, then the concept of beings without bodies is ridiculous. But maybe the groundwork is almost completed. And we're, we're already at 26 and a half minutes. It's flying by because it's so bloody interesting, this to the top of the hour. So the singularity, right? So James Cameron imagined a scenario where where computer programs would become sentient, would become aware of themselves and wanted to go their own way. And human beings panicked and tried to do something about it. It's fiction, of course. And then the machines fought back. I speak to people sometimes around this program, intelligent people, academic people, and they see that if not that exact scenario, but they see it as a possibility in the future, that if computers or computer programs or bots were to become aware of themselves, well, then every possibility is on the table. One of them being that these um, consciousnesses would determine for themselves that maybe this planet would be better off without human beings. And Nick, you're a man of software engineering and computers, is that pie in the sky, or is that something that people should be concerned about? Absolutely, the need to be concerned about it. I started the blog of Emergent AGI for a very particular reason. Like I said, I've been in and out of this field for for most of my life, really. Um, and there was a, a paper published, what was it, 18 months ago or something like that, uh, saying about the emergent properties of the first signs of emergent properties of, of artificial general intelligence have been found in in ChatGPT, and I think it was a paper by Google or or Microsoft. I think no, it's Microsoft who put this paper out, and that sparked my interest. I thought, like, okay, then, you know, is this going to happen? And then when the letter came out by the thousand or so different people like Musk and others, they were saying, let's have this six month pause. So I thought, okay, then let's see if anything about AGI, this artificial general intelligence emerges within this six month period where they're saying, let's call a halt to it because of the halt. Halt is not really happening. Of course. Um, Different companies will say, oh, yeah, we, we, we pause letting this bit out or we're not developing the next model, but development is still happening in every other model. So 
the scary things are that it ne- won't necessarily... Artificial general intelligence, I'll start it this way, is defined as uh, a machine that's capable of doing most things that human can at the same level of intelligence or above that a human can. Then you have a level above that because artificial general intelligence is supposed to be able to work on itself and create something more intelligent than it is, create its own algorithms to be a lot better. And that's called artificial super intelligence. And the singularity is supposed to be around this time, this transition period between AGI and ASI machines. And the idea is that once you get ASI, nobody knows what could possibly happen because it's beyond human comprehension. So it becomes almost like a, a spiritual thing. It's it's almost like a religion or a faith. Uh, it's very, very sort of different thing after ASI, after a singularity. But what we can do is track AGI. Is it happening? How likely is it to happen? And what the timeframes might be? So one of the... I've, I've read a lot of stuff. I've watched a lot of videos, as most people may have done or whatever. Um... But what, what the sort of consensus of the better leading scientists within this field are that on our current level of hardware, we can't do this at the moment. We, or, and like I said, if we get something like an AGI, it won't be human-like whatsoever. However, in five to 15 years' time, that's a time frame where we may get something at least an AGI. And on that note, Nick, Mike. Nick, on that note as well, uh, we did a, or you did a, we did a bit of an experiment, didn't we, for the blog on the government's paper regarding the future of uh, AI uh, and uh, <laughs> yes. what's going on. So please continue with that little story. Yeah, the government um, in March released a white paper about its response to artificial intelligence as it stands and I used to write government policy at one stage for around education and and information technology as it was called then um so I thought oh right I'll read this with a lot of interest and I thought it was this is really bad this is they're not understanding half the problems this is appalling so rather than go off on a rant myself what I thought I'd do would be put the conclusions and the recommendations of the white paper into BARD, which is the Google engine. And its analysis of of it was fascinating. It said, this is too slow. Stuff has already happened that it's talking about. And this is planned over an 18 month period, so it's ridiculous. This is too bureaucratic and basically it wouldn't work at all. Yeah, so it was, and we, it was spot on. Yes, yeah, spot on. So the government—I mean, that's typical of any government. Isn't it? It's playing the game here, and I don't know if they really do know what this is all, this is all about, which I think they do. But it's just for the public safety or whatever. They're not engaging with proper uh, thoughts around it, and uh, it's well, it's a bit, a bit of like the Wild West, I think. I would have thought that governments would be terrified of it the implications of it or or the organizations which control governments because they not go ahead nick 
Yeah, not necessarily. One of the things which I'll be publishing t- today is, have you heard of uh, Palantir? No, no, I can't say I have, no. company at Palantir. Oh, okay then. This is this is an interesting rabbit hole, and hopefully I've got enough time to sort of tell you about it. But Palantir is a company that was founded um, a few years ago, basically by CIA money. Um, the CIA have this this offshoot which is called Incutel, and it invests in particular companies, many of them very high tech AI companies. And Palantir was one of those. And for its first four years of, of existence, it basically just got um, military intelligence or intelligence community funding, should we say, to develop various products. One of these products, which they talk about, um, launched last week, last Tuesday, I think it was. Um, and it's it's like an AGI on steroids. And so it's called an artificial intelligence platform. Um, and it's to be used to make better decisions in a variety of settings, particularly military settings. That so sounds, that sounds shows, pretty much like DARPA to me. Remember DARPA? Oh, yeah. But this is, this is well beyond It's beyond DARPA, is it? Wow. Yeah. So their, their video, which is available on YouTube even, um, but nobody's really been talking about it in the press, no doubt. You know, it's no surprise there. Um, but they showed it in operation on the Eastern European theatre because Planetary have been working with, guess which company, which country at the moment, which are involved in military conflict, You've got to say Ukraine. Absolutely. So they've been working with the Ukrainian government, testing these this software out. So it's battle proven. So they got an advantage over a lot of their competitors. And what it's able to do, um, you can work with their monitoring of, of satellite imagery. Um, and the, the example they showed was this satellite imagery showed a, a large concentration of enemy forces gathering near the border. So the AIP, it analyzed the situation and it proposed itself a number of tactical responses. One is which was to launch a drone, that sort of thing, uh, to get better intelligence. So... Planet here have used, um, they created a project a little while ago called Maven, which was done for the Department of Defense, using artificial intelligence to analyze drone footage. And they also use another one of their tools called Tactical Intelligence Targeting Access Node, or Titan, which brings these things together. So in AIP, they brought it all together in a small handheld thing for military of different levels. So once AIP says, these are your three potential options, you pass that and then up the chain of command and the commander can say, okay, then let's, uh, which battalion is nearest to it or which company is nearest to it? 
and AIP will work out the most, the quickest route available over the terrain because it knows what the terrain is, of course. Um, so gives you a load of recommended actions about how you can deal with this. And it's, of course, virtually instant. So the idea is to make it far better for, for military commanders to make quick decisions based upon proper intelligence. Jesus. The, the, the thing is, though, eventually the plan is to take the military commanders out of the equation, isn't it? So you have companies. I'm, I'm going to ask Paul now just before we, because we're going to wrap this up in about five minutes. Um, and I want Paul to name the podcast again. You can get it on Spotify. You can get it in lots of places. But isn't the plan? You know, I spoke to someone a few years back who had worked at Boston Dynamics and they're making, they're, they're not just building robots for the battlefield. They're also building basically Robocop, the Paul Verhoeven yeah. movie. They're making these robots that will go out and do policing. But I used to think of those things being controlled by a person in a booth, but there won't be a person in a booth. An AI program will manage those robotics. That's how it's meant to be, isn't it, Nick? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the most, because of how AIP is designed, um, most of the sort of decision-making really effectively is done by the AI already. What it just needs is a confirmation. Sister Paul, Paul, remind our listeners where they can get the podcast and the name of it, more importantly. Yeah, uh, the name of the podcast is The Future uh, Was Yesterday. The Future Was Yesterday. And it's available on Spotify in particular. And I think it's just as spreading around the normal, um, you know, iTunes, etc. normal podcasters. But people should go to fabradiointernational.com and check out the schedule because it'll be on Fab Radio 1 over the weekend, I think you said. Yeah, it'll be on, uh, it's actually on the website, yep, I'm doing that tomorrow. It starts on, oh, it starts on Saturday at 11 o'clock and we, um, the intro music to it is AI generated. The graphic we, we use for the show was AI generated um, uh, and everything on the blog uh, Graphic-wise, I think not everything. Well, quite a few things on there are AI uh, generated as well, just to show what's possible, I suppose, in in the fun way, in a fun way, not in a deep, serious, my God way. It, it won't be long, Nick. Thanks, Paul. It won't. It, it the future was yesterday. That's the name of the podcast, Nick. It won't be long before. I mean, this is basic stuff. Now let's move away from let's move away from Armageddon, right, and into the next couple of years. Paul did something very interesting a week or so ago with me and with himself. He asked the the chat GPT thing to do an intro about me or an intro about Paul. And it very quickly threw back this pretty credible um, series of paragraphs that, you know, you could imagine was written by somebody who knew how to write. How long will it be, do you think, before it it will be indistinguishable? So I learned the other day that John Grisham has written a sequel to The Firm. Would you believe that? After 25 or 30 years or whatever it is. So I can't wait, right? Or has he? Or has he? That's a bloody good question, that, Paul. How long do you think it'll be before the, the bot can write novels with plot twists and, and, and themes that um, we will be unable to distinguish between human beings? So I've, I've been testing quite a bit of that type of thing out. The main limitation at the moment is how the large language machines are built. They are—they have a certain amount of tokens, which is basically places in the memory. 
for to allow what it can absorb at any one time. So chat GPT, it's 64,000 tokens or something. But a paper has come out this week about, okay, then you can scale this up to a million tokens. Now with a million tokens, you can put in the Encyclopedia Britannica and it, in one go, and it will read it and understand it in seconds. So it won't be that long. I would say 18 months at the most before you will see that, that sort of capability. In terms of its writing style, if, if, you're, if you're shrewd with how you put the prompts into ChatGPT, you can get it to sort of write in the style of, of particular authors, but it's far better if you say like, okay, then write me something which is, is sarcastic and funny and, and those sorts of qualities. So if you give it the qualities in the first instance, you get far better text out of it than just saying, write me this or you. rewrite me this. I hear you. So in theory, and this, this isn't a gag now, I mean, in theory, in a couple of years' time, if you paid the monthly or biannual fee for whichever new chatbot is out there, you could be submitting a manuscript or, yeah, for a novel to a publishing house it, that, that might be good enough for them to go, Tell you what, that's pretty, pretty, pretty brilliant. And then before you know it, a Hollywood movie producer is optioning the book. That's not beyond the bounds, the realms of possibility, Nick. Well, already you've had a a photographer submit a photo which won the world Sony uh, photo competition, and it was AI generated, and he told everybody, so he didn't accept the prize. So you've already got it that skillful in photography, if you like, getting it in that in text won't take long. It does depend how, how much you train the machines. So if I want to write a, I don't know, Gore Vidal type novel, if I fed um, a, a large language machine up with all of his work, and you know there's a lot of his work, it would very, very convincingly write something akin to a Gore Vidal novel. Yeah. Even though he's dead. Uh, also, we talked about this uh, uh, back at the office, uh, they produced a magazine, as we know, Starburst magazine, and we reckon that most magazines will change over the over the next few years. Certain magazines, you know, like the lifestyle magazines, that we reckon could be generated easily uh, by one person. So imagine the jobs going there as well. So you could have a couple of dozen people, you know, maybe a dozen or more in any office where a magazine is produced and they could be gone. Nick, I, I want to, um, we're going to wrap this up because we're rapidly running out of time and I have something to say to Paul um, on air but, but, but that, that doesn't relate to yourself before we go. It's about the, the journey of, um, of, of building this bloody thing over the years. But the, the, it's been absolutely riveting listening to you, Nick, by the way. Uh, uh, cheers, pal. And thanks for your bit of input last year when we were, when we were rebuilding this, um, this studio. Um, the future was yesterday, the podcast, Spotify. It'll be on Fab Radio International over the weekend, Saturday, Paul said. Nick, we'll, we'll, I'll ask you to come back on again really soon and pick this conversation up again if you don't mind. But it's been a pleasure, You're Paul, having welcome. you on the programme today. Thank you. It's been a real pleasure to be on here and, and, um, and have such a really interesting conversation. Yeah, well, you've been really interesting, mate. You've made it interesting. Thanks for that, Nick. And we'll speak again really soon. Let me just do this and then I want to bring Paul in. Uh, Paul has been mentioned on this programme, I don't know, 
um, probably a thousand or two thousand times over the years. I met him in Manchester in 2014 when I'd come up from London and I said I'd like to do a radio show basically run it, produce it and, and presented myself out of a spare room and that happened and it happened because of the amazing gentleman that is Paul Ripley, a great friend and, and colleague. He runs Fab Radio International in Manchester. Do check it out. It's a wonderful radio station with an amazing, diverse, diverse in the great sense of the word, uh, programming on everything, music, on film, wrestling, anything you can think of. Um, uh, he's been brilliant. I've never had the chance to say to you properly, at least on air anyway, thank you for being there for this show in the last nearly 10 years now. You're an angel on earth and we love you. So thank you very much, Paul Ripley. Uh, um, thank you so much for saying that. Uh, but I just want to add to that as well. Um, as you know, I've been involved with the radio and I worked at the BBC and the Current Relief. And I started the first online station in in Manchester, the very first one. Uh, and, and so because the reason I did that was because radio had changed over the years um, you, suddenly you weren't programming the tunes you wanted to play. You had to say the links that were, they wanted to be created by above, and it came. It came pasteurized radio. And as a kid, I used to love radio. I used to go to bed listening to James Stanich at night time, uh, and he, he was a, the radio has always been a friend to me. So when you, I met you and I saw what you did, and how hard you worked at it, I was blown away. And so it's been a pleasure. But also, uh, I'd like to mention about your audience as well. Your audience, uh, uh, last year I went through a, a horrendous time, and I don't mind talking about it now, it was a horrendous time, last 18 months. And you were telling me about messages coming through because of, w without them really knowing what had gone on with me. And I thought, that's the audience that, that's the audience that, that cares. That's the audience that, used to, like me, used to listen to the likes of James Stanich. Yeah. They're the ra real radio listeners, not some listening to some pap on certain stations across the BBC here now, and local stuff especially, because they're all owned by three organisations that we well know. And so it's, it's, you know, absolute 70s, absolute 60s. What's that about? You might as well listen to Spotify. So so I've enjoyed this journey, uh, and I think you're the hardest working, definitely the hardest working person I've ever met in radio, and I produce... Uh, quite a lot of people who you know, and it's you're the hardest working person going, and you're dedicated to it. And I, I actually don't know how you do it in reality on your own. Nobody to, I mean, we've just, I've worked, helped you when things have gone wrong, but it's just, oh, anyway, that's that. So it's been a pleasure. A pleasure, sir. Well, thanks for saying that, buddy, and thanks for coming in today. It's been brilliant having you in the in the studio today. The Go on, you do it one last time then. The name of the brand new podcast, which uh, I'll be listening to on my I run. Keep, I keep forgetting the name, you know. I don't the, know what you think about it. The, the future, future was yesterday. Paul, thanks, buddy. Thanks for no coming problems. in today. You've been listening to Paul Ripley and Nick Ripley, the brothers Ripley. In fact, you're the second set of brothers ever to come on the programme. You're in good company. The Fairbrass brothers, uh, Richard and Fred from Right Said Fred, have been on the programme in the past as well. He says, dropping names. Going to take um, a bit of take that to close out the programme with, again, thanks again to Nick and Paul. The future was yesterday. Do listen to the programming at fabradiointernational.com. I have never in my life endorsed anything. 
unless I really meant it. Uh, they do some fantastic shows and have given great starts to talented young presenters, in, and not so young in some cases, uh, in the, the great city of Manchester. And this AI journey, um, I'll be following that with the lads. The future was yesterday. Paul is going to leg it now to the car and get out to, uh, to uh, East Manchester because Manchester United are playing on the television in about an hour's time and he wants to be home for that. Thanks for being there this week. We'll talk again on Sunday morning at 10 o'clock UK time for Sunday morning melodies. Until then, it's bye from me.